we continue our series titled, Five Questions Every Man Needs Answered. Today's question is, how can we change our life? Pastor John Mark Caton returns to help guide us through today's question and helps us understand how we can be the men that God wants us to be. Now, let's hear from John Mark. All right, boys, good seeing y'all, man. If y'all want to take your Bibles and uh, turn with me, if you would, uh, to Exodus chapter 32, that's where we're, Genesis chapter 32, that's where we're going to be. Uh, if you're new here, uh, our new listen to the podcast, we started a series a couple of weeks ago uh, entitled Five Questions uh, Every Man uh, needs to answer five questions every man needs to answer and so we've looked at a couple of those questions if you uh, missed any of those you can find them online uh, week one we looked at this uh, every man needs to answer the question or be able to answer the question what is God's will for my life uh, if you missed that I want to encourage you to go back on podcast and listen to that week two uh, we ask ourselves the question how can I hear God speak to me we all need to at certain points in our lives because of uh, what's going on in our life or decisions that we need to make. Uh, we all need uh, to hear from God and know how to hear from God. Uh, then last week, uh, we asked ourselves uh, this question, how do I respond when God says no? Uh, when I'm praying for something, begging for something, asking God for something, and he says no, why does God say no, and then how should I respond? And then today, here's a question, guys, we all need to ask. Uh, especially in difficult seasons in our lives. And, and it's really this simple question, how can I change my life? Or what do I need to change about my life? You know, as we think about our lives, every guy in this room, every one of us, uh, from the best to the worst, we all have something we need to change. How many of you would say you have at least something in your life, whether it's public or private, that could use some changing in your life. That's right. Every one of us in this room, man, I, I will just tell you, if you're sitting here and you've got uh, some secret sin or some hidden addiction that no one else knows about, guys, I just want you to know, every dude in this room has got something they need to do a little work on. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today, because if we're ultimately going to be the men of God, uh, the men that God wants us to be, we've got to figure out how to change those things in our lives. And I, I don't know what it is in your life. Uh, I don't know if, if it's an attitude. Man, maybe you've just, uh, because of certain events in your life, or, or, or sometimes we're just bent a certain way, uh, that your attitude uh, is a detriment to your relationships, to your marriage, to uh, uh, your friendships, to your uh, walk with God. Maybe there's just something about your attitude uh, that's going to hurt things and you need to change that. Maybe uh, it's a habit. Uh, maybe you have a habit in your life that you know, man, this thing is going to destroy me if I don't get control over it. Maybe it's worse than that. Maybe it is an addiction. Maybe there's some sort of an addiction that is in your life. Maybe others know about it. Uh, maybe they don't. Uh, but you know, man, if I don't change this thing, it's going to hurt me. It's going to hurt me at the office. It's going to hurt me in my relationship with God. It's going to hurt me in my marriage. It's going to hurt my relationship with kids, a relationship with others. And so we all need to, at a certain point, come to the place in our lives where we answer the question, man, how can I change 
something in my life? Or perhaps even the prior question of that, uh, what needs to change in my life? Because there's always something that needs to change. Here's the good news. Uh, I love what, uh, uh, what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. He says, you were taught, talking about with God's word, with regard to your former way of life. This is the former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. So that's part of what we want to talk today is how, as I look at an example, an Old Testament example from Scripture, one dude literally changes the pattern of his life from birth. And the guy we're going to look at today is Jacob. And, and there is a pattern that we see in Jacob's life that literally started in the womb. It carried through his childhood and ultimately into his early, early teens and early 20s and early 30s. And every space that uh, Jacob went, we're going to see his life, is that it was all about deceiving someone, then having to run away. Deceiving someone, then having to run away. Deceiving someone, and then having to run away. That was his issue. That's what needed to change in his life. And we're going to see that ultimately he did change it. So we're going to look at some principles. How did he change it? What did it take to change? And the principles still apply. So whatever it is in your life that you look back and say, you know what, as I think back, man, perhaps when I was a teenager, this cost me, or when I was in my 20s, this cost me, or uh, maybe it was a prior marriage, you think, you know, uh, I love to blame her, but the truth is I contributed it, and this cost me. How can I change those things in my life? Well, first and foremost, before we get to Jacob's example, the first thought is this. As we look at the idea that, uh, that we're starting this series, Fresh Fruit, that the first thing we need to understand that if we're really going to let God change our lives, it starts with our salvation. It's got to start there. And so guys, if you're listening to this message and you've never come to a place in your life where you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that's where real change happens. Because part of the premise of this whole series we're about to do, uh, Fresh Fruit, the Fruit of the Spirit, uh, it, it, it is contingent on the fact that we have come face to face at some moment in our life, in some time in our life, some space in our life, with our own sinfulness. And our own sinfulness, maybe, we'll get it, maybe someday we'll buy us a good one of these. So in our own sinfulness, uh, we've come to the place that my sin has separated me from God. And it's only because of what God did for me and his love for me that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sins. That Jesus, when he died on the cross, he died on the cross for my sins. And he was buried and rose again the third day. And I have to come to a place in my life at some time where I receive Christ as Savior and Lord, receive the forgiveness of all of my past, present, and future sins, and then the Holy Spirit lives in us, and then the Holy Spirit, and then, notice, then, and only then, can the Holy Spirit begin to produce fresh fruit in my life. As we begin to look this weekend at the opening of that series, before we get to the good fruit, how many of you know there in Galatians chapter 5, there's a list of some of the bad fruit? You've seen them? And it says, the fruit of the flesh are obvious. You know, sometimes we can conceal the fruit of the flesh. But the truth is, other times people know it. They see it. We know it. 
And so it starts with my salvation. Well, why is it so important that any change in my life starts with salvation? Well, it's because of what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. We'll put it on the screen. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. Behold, the new is here. And so if you're in a space of struggling with with some secret sin or some public sin in your life, some failed past, it starts with salvation and receiving forgiveness of that. Then the the new things can come in your life. So guys, my prayer is that if you've never made that decision for salvation, that at the end of today, that you would just pull over to the side and Get a hold of Sloan or Dave or Justin or Justin or me and just say, you know what? I want to settle my salvation right now. Because any of the changes we talk about making today will be superficial at best if there's not a deep-seated faith in Jesus Christ at your heart. And they're coming alongside your flesh and my flesh, which are constantly going to be at war with one another to draw us back to our old ways that my prayer would be that we would all start with salvation so if we're going to change our lives starts with salvation but let me go give you one example i want to show you an example of jacob uh, and that's what we're going to see in genesis chapter 32 but before uh we get to the incident in jacob's life let me just kind of give you a brief overview uh, off the top of my head just a brief overview of, of, of jacob's life First of all, Jacob was born a twin. Anybody in here a twin? Anybody in here have a twin brother? You have a twin brother. All right. Uh, two of them. I see two. Is there three? Uh, are you the better looking of the twins? Yeah, yeah. Are you the better looking one? Are you the more athletic one? Yeah. Are you the more athletic? You're not. Are you richer than the other twin? Not that either. So you're the failed twin. We've got the failed twin. And uh, uh, all right, all right. Who was first, technically? In you were number one. Okay, so you you kind of feel like Esau is that the the the, the twin grabbing your heel kind of passed you? Is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah. Did he cheat his way to the top? I think sometimes he did. Yeah, I think sometimes he did. Now, were you first or were you second? You were number two. See, there's a cheater right over there. All right, that. <laughs> That's how Jacob's life started. He was a twin. There were Jacob and Esau. Esau was first. It says literally in the Bible that when they came out, Jacob's hand was grabbing Esau's heel. He always wanted uh, the firstborn's birthright. And so as they begin to grow up, are you pretty similar to your twin or very different? Uh, we're different. Different? Different. I know you're different. I just don't wonder how different he is. Are you pretty different? Are y'all very different or similar? Very similar. Okay. Well, that's not the case if you know Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau were totally different. Uh, Esau, uh, Jacob's older brother by a moment, was an outdoorsman. He was a hunter. Uh, he was a, a man of the land. How many of you like to hunt? How many of you are ready, ready to stick, a, uh, stick an arrow in something pretty quickly? Uh, yeah, that's, that's it. That's who Esau was. Dude, he loved to be outside. He was a man's man. Uh, and guess what? His dad loved him for it. Jacob was a mama's boy. You, you go read it. He loved to hang around the, the tents. He loved to hang around the house. He loved to help his mom bake cookies. 
that, that's not in the Bible, uh, by the way, if y'all are wondering. But it says he loved to cook. He loved to hang around his mom. And they were as different as night and day. You had one dude who, in a man's way of being a man, Esau, Jacob's twin brother, was a stud. He would have been called a man's man. It said he was ruddy in appearance, had a beard, scruffy. He went out there and hunted with his dad, and he loved it. And Jacob was not that way. And so as they journeyed through life, there was a favoritism that developed that Jacob's dad loved Esau more than Jacob, but Jacob's mom loved Jacob more than Esau. And so as they come towards the end of what they believe is their father's life, mom comes to Jacob and said, listen, your dad's about to deliver his birthright. And when he gives his birthright away, everything in the palatial palace out here uh, that we have is going to go to the oldest son. And so the mom and the son, Jacob, begin to connive and they begin to put together this plan. And the plan is this. You can't walk into your dad and ask for your birthright looking like Jacob because you smell good. And he's going to know immediately that you are not. Now, it does say that his dad had gotten dim in his eyesight. So they come up with a plan that they literally would put makeup and a fake beard and they would put mud and some blood and they said, listen, when you go in there, your dad is old enough that, that, that we just got to make you smell right because he can't see very well. And so mom and Jacob deceived dad and dad accidentally blesses and gives the birthright to the second twin, not the first twin. And so what happens is then Esau comes in from what he typically does, which is he is, he, he is out in the field looking for something to kill so the family can eat. And when he shows up, he says, Dad, I think we were, uh, you were supposed to bless me at some point uh, today. And, and Dad says, wait, I thought I already blessed you because I've already given away my blessing. And in Israel, there's only one blessing to give away. And once it's gone, even if you give it to the wrong person, it's gone. And so Esau begins to do a little sleuthing, and he figures out it was Jacob who stole his birthright. And guess what Esau wants to do to Jacob? He wants to kill him. He says, you know what? I'm going to stick an arrow through you. And so Jacob does what you, which is, becomes a pattern in his life. He creates a problem. By the way, Jacob means deceiver, if you didn't know this. He begins to run. And so mom calls together and said, okay, so maybe that wasn't such a great idea we had. Uh, maybe we shouldn't have uh, deceived. Maybe we should have known that Esau was going uh, to come back and he was going to be hopping mad. And so mom says, I got an idea. Uh, you have an uncle Laban down the road. Why don't you go down to Laban's house? So Jacob runs from his problem. And as he goes down to Laban's house, y'all kind of know this story, shared a little bit of this from the, from the stage a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so he goes down to Laban and he begins to work with his uncle Laban so Esau wouldn't kill him. And uh, Laban says, hey, listen, I, I want to pay you for your work. It's good to have you here. Got my nephew here, Jacob here. And he goes, what do you want? And, and basically Jacob looks up and says, your daughter's cute. 
And Laban says, listen, you work for seven years, you can have my cute daughter. He works for seven years on the night of the wedding. Guess what? The deceiver gets deceived. Uncle Laban instead decides, you know, I don't want to give away the young, pretty daughter. I should give away my older daughter first. Now, we really don't know what she looks like, but Jacob clearly had affection for the younger one. And so on the wedding night, the deceiver gets deceived, and he's given the wrong girl, gives Leah instead of Rachel. Well, Jacob is, is angry and mad, and he goes to Laban and says, Dude, listen, I, I made a deal for seven years that I would work for her, and you gave me her. And then all of a sudden, Laban says, Oh, by the way, did I fail to, forget, uh, to, to mention that it wouldn't be right for me to give away the younger daughter before the older daughter, uh, so you got to go ahead and finish that gig first. So he marries her, and he goes, But if you'll work for me for seven more years, I'll give you the wife that you want. So sure enough, he makes that deal, works seven more years. Uh, and now here's what he does. In the midst of it, his character is this. The older sister, Leah, had nothing to do with it. The father was the one that was the deceiver. But if you look and read life, read, read the story, Jacob made it very clear that he did not like Leah. And it says he mistreated her. And he just rejected her over and over again, which tells you a little bit about the guy's character. She didn't do anything. But he made it real obvious he didn't love her, he didn't care for her, she was just kind of thrown into the deal, and he treated her like she was thrown into the deal. And so as they journey through life, there comes a place as they begin to grow up that, 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 that Jacob says, you know what, I've been over here hiding from my, my brother Esau. I don't, don't really want to go home because I'm afraid Esau's going to kill me. Uh, but I'm, I'm kind of sick of working for my uncle. He says, I'm ready to start my own business. So he goes into his uncle and he says, hey, listen, why don't we divide our flocks and stuff and I'll take my wives and, and we'll go on. And if you go read the story and the pattern of the story, Uncle Laban, he's gotten a little older. And he goes, okay, he goes, why don't, why don't you decide what you want? So Jacob decides he's going to get back with him. They've got, he's been tending the flocks. Jacob basically steals the best and strongest of the herd and leaves and runs. Here he is again, deceiving Laban, who deceived him. And now gather up all of your stuff and begin to run. Now the problem is, Laban figures it out and begins to pursue him. So now Jacob's really got a problem. And a lot of times, this is where we have to get before we want to change our behavior. Is Jacob is making his way back to his homeland. And Esau, his brother, hears, oh, Jacob is making his way back home. And Jacob, let me tell you what, in this season, in this time, is still the bad son of a gun. And so he says, oh, welcome home, Jacob. I've been waiting for you. And so Jacob and all of his flocks are heading this way. Laban figures out that he's been snookered. He's pursuing him from the back. And so now you finally have this dude who has been a deceiver all of his life and always been able to run from his problems caught in the middle. And a lot of times, guys, it's when we are caught in the middle that the pressure becomes so immense that it motivates us to change. 
And that's where we're going to find in Genesis chapter 32. That's where we're going to find where Jacob is. Now, my encouragement to you before we even begin to go through these principles and these practices and these thoughts from this story is the best thing we can do is acknowledge who we are and our patterns of sinfulness and patterns of bad behavior and deal with them before we get in a mess. Does that make sense? Before it destroys your relationships, before it destroys your marriage, before it destroys this, before it costs you your job, before it costs you your career, the best thing we can do is not wait until the crisis moment to deal with the struggle. But if you are in that moment, that season, I want to talk to you today about four ways that God uses the crisis to change us. And we're going to all see from Jacob's life. So let me just read you kind of the story. So here you have it. Uh, Jacob is now running from Laban. Esau has heard he's coming. So Esau and all of his men, and it says hundreds of men, were coming out to meet him because Jacob, one of Jacob's men who, who run ahead of him, came back and said, hey, Esau heard you're on his way and he's coming out to meet you. And Jacob says, oh, does he have gifts? He goes, no, no, no. He's got several hundred dudes with him. And so Jacob's like, uh-oh, this is not going to go well. I, I knew I was going to have to face this. I knew I was going to fix, fix this problem. So that's where we are. So here we are. Pick it up in Genesis chapter 32, verse 22. It says, that night, Jacob got up, took his two wives, one he liked, one he didn't, his two female servants and 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left all alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Let me just stop you right there, guys. There are times in our life when we don't deal with our sin, we don't deal with what's going on in our life. One of the most tragic statements that you'll ever hear or can ever be said of any one of us are those first few words, verse 24. So Jacob was left alone. Guys, the challenge for us right now is if you've got some perpetual bad habits and you are married and you know they will destroy your life, deal with them now before you're all alone. If you've got an addiction in your life, deal with it now before you end up being left all alone. Because good comes out of this because God will always take some of the bad in our life and turn it into good. But guys, let me tell you what, if we can fix and change ourselves before we get to that, that's a good thing, right? Guys, I'll tell you one of the most tragic things I, I hear over and over and have in my ministry is that there's been a guy or someone's been in marriage and the dude has just been a jerk to his wife for a year or five years or 10 years or he's had this addiction that's been lingering there for a year or five years or 10 years or 15 years. And all of a sudden, she says, I'm done. You've seen it coming. You knew it was coming. Others probably knew it was coming. You say, you say, Pastor, 
What is it that needs to change in my life? Listen, if you've got good friends, my guess is they know. Right? If you've got an addiction, if you've got a major problem, if you've got a really, really bad habit in your life and you were to get open and honest with some brothers, that's why we like to get together, and you look at them and say, dude, man, uh, you see, any, see anything in my life that I could change? My guess is a good friend has been waiting for you to open that door so they can be honest with you in love. But guys, here's where we are in our relationships or in our life or in the job or whatever. If you've got that secret sin, that hidden habit, that thing that you do over and over again, don't wait until you are all alone to fix the problem. Because sadly, I see a lot in ministry, and we see a lot in ministry is, 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 is we, we end up meeting with somebody and, and the couple is separated now in divorce or headed towards divorce. And he all of a sudden realizes what he's lost and he wants it back. And now all of a sudden he wants to change. And you're sitting there going, why not in the last 15 years? Why not in the last 20 years? Why not in the last 30 years? Why did you wait until you're all alone to now you're going to fix it? And why would they now believe you? Does that, do you understand what I'm talking about? So guys, my encouragement to you, if there is that secret sin, that hidden habit, that you know is going to destroy things in your life, let's do this. Let's fix it before we're all alone. Let's fix it before we're all alone. Now let's continue to read the rest of the story. It says, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip uh, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? We're going to come back to this here in a second in this verse 27. And Jacob answered, Jacob. Now we're going to see this. This is a space. You say, well, that just seems obvious. And we're going to find out here in a second that he's actually wrestling with God, right? God will wrestle with you a little bit. Now what? I want you to know, he, he, he won't pin you immediately, but he will pin you. But when he says, I am Jacob, what he was really doing is he was owning who he was. Because remember, the definition of Jacob from the very beginning was deceiver. So he says, I'm the deceiver. I'm not the one with the birthright. I'm not the one with the two wives. Uh, I'm a dude that has deceived people all of my life. And so insert your sin, whatever it is. Verse 28 says, Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob. So he's changing his name. But your name will now be Israel. That word Israel, it can be, it can be uh, defined in two different ways. He was deceiver. He becomes Israel. That can mean prince of God. Or it can also mean one who struggles with God. And so he gets a name change. He finally does business with God. He says, this is who I was. I was a deceiver all my life, but I'm going to change, and now I'm going to become something else. In those seasons, in those moments, in those crisis spaces, that's when we have a tendency to change the most. And so let's continue to read. He says, man, my name is Jacob. Uh, and then Jacob said, uh, excuse me, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. 
because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. He acknowledges reality. Verse 29, Jacob says, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. Look at verse 30. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he, and he was limping because of his hip. So, so here's this battle. Uh, here's this season that Jason, uh, Jacob is left all alone. And he struggles with God to fix what he should have fixed way before this. And then when he comes away with this, it says he walks with a limp the rest of his life. Guys, we all walk with a limp somewhere. How many of you, when you look at your past or you look at your life or something that took place in your life, how many of you say there's something in your past that causes you to walk with a limp? Maybe not physically, but it's emotionally or it's relationally, it's somewhere, some space. We all walk with the limp. But I want you to know, walking with the limp is not the worst thing that can ever happen to you. Walking with a limp is not the worst thing that can happen to you. The worst thing that can happen to you is for you to stop walking. For you to stop changing. That's worse than you not having a limp. And so look at verse 32. It says, therefore, to this day, the Israelites don't even eat the tendon, which is attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip, hip was touched near the tendon. So here's the question. How can I change my life? Let me give you a couple of thoughts right from this passage. I've told you the story. Here, here's thought number one. We know that Jacob's weakness, his sin, was he deceived people, he misled people, he stole from people. He was always busting a relationship up and having to run. Instead of being an honorable man, he was always busting a relationship up and then being honorable. Here it is, thought number one. If you and I are going to change, we have to embrace the crisis. Here's what I know. If I get with a, a, a man or something that, and, and they're going through a marital crisis, Typically, the first thing the man wants is the marital crisis to be over. When the most important thing that can happen would be for the dude to learn the lesson that caused the marital crisis to begin with. Do we understand that? See, a lot of times, I just want the crisis to be over. Sometimes we have to embrace the crisis, and that's what we see here. Man, Jacob steps up, and he says, man, I, I need to embrace this crisis. Man, I, I have Laban behind me. I, I have my brother Esau in front of us. Uh, we've got a crisis here. We've got a problem. It is human nature to put off changes. I want you to know, it's human nature for me to put off changes, but we have to embrace the crisis. If you were going through a crisis season in your life and you really want to change, you need to step back and honestly say, what do I need to change? What is it that caused me to get in this crisis moment to begin with? Why am I in this space? As I was just kind of preparing yesterday, I just came up with this statement or thought, too often, we don't change until the pain of the crisis outweighs the pleasure we get from the problem or the sin. Man, that's true in my life. There are, there are things that I know I need to change in my life right now. 
Maybe they're not a huge sin or a massive sin, but I'm like, yeah, I could probably get better. The problem is, a lot of times we don't change until the pain of the crisis is greater than the pleasure I receive from my bad habit or my old sin. So guys, thought number one is we have to embrace the crisis because here's what happens. God will allow us to go through crisis because He wants us to be better than we are today. So if you're growing through a crisis or you know someone's going through a crisis, part of the reason God allows us to go through the crisis is He wants us to get better. Look at uh, back to Genesis 32, verse 24. It says, So Jacob was left all alone, and he wrestled, uh, a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he could have. He touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that he was rinsed, and he was wrestled with the man all the time. Listen, here's, here's point number one. Don't give up. Well, there's some things that, that, that Jacob did right here, and thought number one is he didn't just quit. He didn't give up. He began to wrestle with God. He began to come to grips with who he was. And I want you to know, the worst thing that ever happened to Jacob was not that he walked with a limp. Do we understand that? And if God gives you a limp, that is not the worst thing that will ever happen to you in your life. It might be an incredible reminder of the past sinfulness, a past struggle that you had over and over again that hasn't just hurt you, but it's hurt her hurt those you love. So guys, if there's something that is going on in your life, embrace the crisis. Say, what does God want me to learn from this? If you're in a season right now where your marriage isn't where it's supposed to be and you know in the back of your mind that if I don't change this, if I don't fix this, this is going to lead. It ain't going away. And I encourage you, go embrace the crisis. Figure out, is there something in my life? Do I need to go get alone with God and wrestle with God until I walk with a limp? And a lot of times, a limp is simply being humble enough to acknowledge that I'm not perfect. And so if we're going to change thought number one, I have to embrace the crisis. You say, jump down to verse 28. Jump down to verse 28. Notice this. It says, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, deceiver, but from this point on, you're going to be called Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans and you've overcome. That is a good thing. Not that he deceived Esau, not that he deceived Laban, not that Rachel, his wife, uh, stole their dad's uh, uh, gold and silver, but instead that he wrestled with God and came away different. He went into this battle, went into this crisis as a deceiver, a swindler, and a runner. He came out of this crisis as a dude who had struggled with God, number one. Who became a prince of God. That's what it means, Israel. Prince of God, struggled with God, and walks with a limp. Guess what? When he walks with a limp, how many times do you think when someone walked up to him, they saw the limp and they said, hey, dude, what happened to your hip? Right? Guess what? That becomes his testimony. He says, hey, let me tell you. When I was born, I did this, and then my mom and I did this, and we did this, and we did that. And that was kind of my pattern in life, and I was always able to deceive and run, and now I got this limp. I can't run from my problems anymore, but I struggled with God. And now I'm called a prince of God. Not because I have a perfect past, 
but because of some humility in my life. And now I'm becoming the man that God wants me to be. Guys, embrace the crisis. My encouragement to you is to do it before you're all alone. Do it before you're all alone. Here, here's, here's number two. You ready? Step two, make a commitment to improve yourself. Once you've embraced the crisis, you've been honored, honest about your sin, even gain that new name, become a new person, develop a new character, and then make a commitment to improve yourself. Man, say, I'm going to fix this right here, right now. If it's an attitude, if it's an addiction, maybe you need to go get a professional help. Man, I'm telling you, I, I can't fix all your problems. Maybe you need to go get professional help. You just need to call one of us, one of the ministers at the church, and say, man, is there someone I can talk to, or is there a place I can go to that I can fix this? So I need to embrace the problem, the crisis. But I also need to make a commitment to improve yourself. We all need to improve somehow, some way, including your pastor. I want you to know, to make a commitment to go forward, even though it's going to be a little painful, I will promise you, you would rather fix it now prior to the crisis, prior to that moment when you were left all alone. When the pain is going to be so much greater. You say, where do you see this? A commitment to improve yourself. Uh, it's in Genesis chapter 32, verse 26. It says, then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Man, that's, an, that's making a commi commitment to improve myself. The man says, let me go. And he says, no, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Guys, when you begin to deal with your sin or your difficulty, your habit that's going to hurt you or yourself, that's going to leave you all alone, I want to encourage you to dig in, battle in, until you fix the problem, until you get blessed, until you get victory over that sin in your life. Because that's when true victory happens. I noticed this, and I go back to marriage counseling a lot, is a lot of times when, we're going, when someone's going through something, you know what they want? They want her to move back home. What do they want? They want the crisis to be over. And we all do. But the best thing you can do is become the best version of you so when she does come home, she doesn't come home to that much she left. How many of us understand that? See, a lot of times we want the crisis to go away when they want the bad habit to go away. Don't talk to me that way anymore. Don't do that anymore. Don't come home drunk again. Don't do this. Don't do, does that make sense? Don't ruin another relationship. Don't lose another job. Those are the kind of things that we need to understand that I want to make a commitment to do whatever I can in this crisis, in this season, to make me better. And I'm not quitting until it's fixed. See, too often when we go through one of these seasons, we make superficial changes instead of deep level changes, don't we? It's way, I don't know about you, it's way easier to make superficial changes for a short season, for a moment, right? But I've got to go to the heart, my heart. And I have to make a commitment to improve myself for the long term. That's exactly what we say. Here's thought number three. Thought number three is confession. Man, confession simply means to say the same thing 
about my action or what I do or that addiction that God does. That's what confession is, is that I just own up to my problem. If all we ever do when, when, when we have a broken relationship with an Esau in our life or a Laban in our life or a Leah in our life, if all we ever do is blame them, we've never owned our stuff. Does that make sense? Anybody know anybody that, uh, that, that maybe they're a friend of yours that, man, you just look at a pattern of, uh, of broken relationships and hard this and hard seasons and hard times, and you talk to that person, say, what happened? And it's always the other person's fault. How many of you know that person? We never own it. We never confess it. We never learn from it. Hey, let me tell you, why was, he, why was Jacob and Esau's relationship broken? Because of Jacob, not Esau, right? Why did he have to run? Not because of Esau. Okay, let's be honest. Esau was going to kill him. He could. But why did he have to run? It was, it was Jacob's fault. Jacob could have sat over there with Laban and said, you know, that old Esau, he just wanted to kill me. I don't know why he wanted to kill me. He just did this. And, you know, but you know the backstory, right? Man, part of what we have to do with our lives when we find ourselves in one of those crisis seasons, but again, I would encourage you to fix it before the crisis, before you're all alone. But when we do find ourselves in that crisis, confess your part, own your part. But part of that idea of confession, look at it, verse 27, Genesis 32, verse 30. It says, the man asked him, what is your name? We say, well, Jacob. How many of you know God knew Jacob's name? God didn't go, oh, so that's who I'm wrestling with. God wanted him to own it. I am a deceiver. The relationships that are broken in my life are because of how I've lived. So that's the idea of confession. Man, I want to own it. Don't blame someone else. It is your issue. It is my issue. And here's number four. Change it. Change it. Thought number one, embrace the crisis. Thought number two, make a commitment to improve yourself regardless. Number three, confess your sin. Own it. Stop pointing the finger at other people. And then number four, change it. Change it. Yeah, you're going to walk with a limp. But it'll be a good limb, guys. How many of you know that the beautiful thing about, uh, about being a pastor, and, and it's, I will tell you, it's something that breaks us. Is it just because when you're in the ministry, you know a lot of stuff? We're going to be talking about love this weekend. And anytime you're talking about fruit of the Spirit, you're talking about love, marriage is going to come up. I hate it when people go through broken marriages. Because I, I hate it because I've seen the end of the story. I've seen the broken kids that come from it. You want to know one of the greatest blessings of being a minister? It's watching couples walk through this atrium and go worship together who walk with a lump. Do you understand what I'm saying? They've had a season in their life Something's going on in their life that could have destroyed them. But they embrace the crisis. 
They made a commitment to improve. They confessed their sins together. They changed it. And they still show up. And they walk with a limp. Because a past failure of him or a past failure of her or some addiction they've had to work through, it's a limp. But that limp becomes a testimony of God's grace and God's faithfulness. And so guys, if there's something you need to change, let's change it. If you're in the crisis right now, embrace it. Because that's where the blessing comes from. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your grace and your love. God, if there are men in here that they're in the crisis right now, Lord, I pray that they would embrace the crisis, even though they're all alone, that they would commit to become better. God, too often we just make a commitment to get out of the crisis. We don't make a commitment to become better. God, let us confess our sins, own our stuff, but then change it. Because, God, your kingdom, your Bible, Old and New Testament, God is filled with men you use mightily who walk with a limp. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. All have a great day, guys. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. For more information about Cottonwood Creek Church, visit cottonwoodcreek.org. And we hope you come back to listen to more episodes of Men's Bible Study.